everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 115 of the podcast that goes on a journey through all of the Marvel superhero universe adventures from the beginning. And in this episode, we are in the middle of January 1966. Again, because just like last week, we're having to re-record. <laughs> yes, we are getting a second chance to do this even better than we did last time that you guys will never hear. Or some of you may have heard, but a select yeah. few. So I, we, it was some sort of weird audacity glitch and like audio from another file overwrote audio from this file. And it was, it was weird. In any case, the episode that we put up um, wasn't good. And so anyways, here it is. This is the new one. It's up a day late. Apologies, but we're here for you, kids. Yay. So what's on the docket today? Oh, Tonight. We have this morning, whenever they're listening. Comics. Well, th- mm-hmm. This weekend, I guess. Mm-hmm. Four comics. Those are going to be Strange Tales 143, The Fantastic Four 49, Amazing Spider-Man 35, and The Avengers 26. And Mike, Ooh. this is going to finish out our month. Which means we're also going to have to remember how we felt about these comics, <laughs> or maybe we have a new feeling. That's okay too. I it's actually, ama- you know, I have our votes from last time, probably. Oh, well, you could just look it up and tell me what I thought. Yeah, Although I'll tell you be, what you thought. That makes it easier you know this what? time. Hey, you know, it'd be even better. I'll tell you what I think tonight, and then you tell me if that's what I thought last time. Because sweet, and we'll see how consistent we are. Because we probably aren't. Consistency uh, would imply professionalism. I love that like all our numbers are in two digits, even the ones that we started with issue number one on. Man, we are like deep in this stuff. Yes. Um, but we're starting with a three-digiter, Strange Tales yes. 143, which um, has on the cover uh, Nick Fury um, in a passionate embrace with a bomb. <laughs> as a couple of the guys uh, are like egging him on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lick that I bomb. Think- I think he's in bondage, just to make it even more innuendo for you. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to go into this comic. The title of the story is To Free a Brain Slave. Oh, no. Speaking of bondage, yeah. Go ahead. Wow. I'm just ruining this episode. Go quickly. Mentolo, the mind reader, and the scientific genius known as the Fixer, have successfully invaded S.H.I.E.L.D. HQ and have encased Nick Fury's head in a helmet, which compels him to obey their every command. And now you know as much as we do. Maybe more, because we have a tendency to forget a lot. Story Stanley, Art Jack Kirby, with an assist by Howard Purcell, inking M. DeMeo, lettering A. Simic. Okay, so... Um, Fury has like a Jason Voorhees mask on, which is the, 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 uh, brain <laughs> mask thing that the recap talked about. Uh-huh. And you know, the problem with these re-records is I didn't review what was actually happening in this issue before I, uh, started this issue, recording. This issue is kind of bonkers. If I so remember see, correctly, I, I might need your help with this one. We, we can figure it out together though. Okay. Um, they're going to they, blow, blow up stuff and take him. They take him with them for some reason. Right. Right, and S.H.I.E.L.D. has, like, this big old yellow, like, tank thing that Tony Stark mm-hmm. created. Mm-hmm. And they're going to attack the headquarters, but they don't know where Nick Fury is. Right. So the yeah. ESP division, those three people with the black stripes on their faces, uh-huh. uh, they are scanning the brainwaves for some sort of signal from um, Nick Fury. And they're going to use the brainwave stimulator to get through to him. 
Um, meanwhile, Tony Stark has a heart attack and says, leave me alone. I'm just going to see you with my heart attack. Go away. Don't tell anyone. That's an order. And mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with anything unless you know that Tony Stark is secretly Iron Man. Shh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Fixer and Mentolo have got Nick Fury. They handcuff him to a bomb because they're just mean like that. And then they take the brain control thing off of Nick Fury so that he can realize he's handcuffed to a bomb. And Nick Fury is like, well, if I'm going to die, can I please have one last cigar? And they're like, sure, here's a cigar. I'll even light it for you. And so Nick Fury starts thinking of the lyrics to Johnny, get your gun. And he starts thinking about them so hard that the ESP section picks them up and they're like, that's the signal to move in. That's the signal. We can track it and find Nick Fury. So uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. like shoots at Mentolo and the Fixer with these little gadgets that once they're attached, the intense brainwaves start overcoming them. The brainwaves also hit Nick Fury, but he just has to take the pain. And the Mentolo, he's like even more mentally acute, so like hurts him even more. Uh, Then the big yellow Stark a uh, tank moves in and it shoots the hydrogen bomb and turns it into dust. The Fixer and Mentolo are really mad. They get guns. And so we got uh, those two guys f- shooting at S.H.I.E.L.D. and S.H.I.E.L.D. is shooting back and they capture the bad guys. And Nick Fury is sitting next to the H-bomb dust and so he's free. And um, he talks to the S.H.I.E.L.D. guys and says, hey, good job, but don't tell anybody that I secretly like you. And they start heading home. Meanwhile, at the helicarrier, a big yellow... No, I'm sorry, not the helicarrier. We just see uh, Fury go to the helicarrier. But somewhere else, the there's this big yellow egg that like flies up to a plane and causes it to explode, destroying the plane and a few people able to eject to safety. And next issue, the Druid. Yay, you remembered. That's I what did. Happened. I was able to figure out the most part yeah. of it. But it, I, I think one of the reasons it's hard to remember is because I feel like this story arc sort of derailed or went somewhere else that it wasn't starting to go. You know what I mean? Like the first like, issue was about Mentolo and how he's really dangerous because he has mental powers. And then like that kind of just went nowhere, sort of. He never even used them. He didn't use them and he got hold of other than using them to find the fixer and then the fixer with you know secret them technology did all the work really Mm -hmm. and i don't really know what the point of the work was i guess invade shield so you could take nick out so you could then go plant a bomb and make sure nick was near it so he'll die when everybody else is destroyed too but why not just plant the bomb you know i don't know it's just like it just seemed like a lot of busy work these three stories and they're spending a lot of time hanging out with Nick around that bomb. Mm, like, I think if too. you're going to blow up on H-bomb, you need to, like, get your stuff out of there. Yeah. It just seemed like a lot of that whole last issue was all this effort to invade S.H.I.E.L.D. mansion, you know, mansion, whatever they are, agent or headquarters, and uh, get Nick Fury. But then all you're going to do is blow up an H-bomb? That would pretty much ruin Nick's life regardless, wouldn't it? I don't know. Kind of weird. At the but, beginning of the story... Uh-huh. Fixer is kind of pointing all this out. 
I furnished the weapons, which let you enable mm-hmm. invade shield headquarters. I made the helmet, which makes Fury your mental slave. Now you have to do the rest. If really the rest is just making Fury walk over to this desk and sit down. And uh, Mentalo's like, yeah. it wasn't you alone, Fixer. And I'm like, no, it really was all him, Mentalo. Your mind reading hasn't done anything. Like, even he's not even using his mind reading to make Nick Fury walk. They're using that Destro mask they put on him. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Fixer could have done that. It's probably Fixer's mask. I don't think Mentalo can, like, scientifically create mind-controlling masks, does he? Or is that no, his no, the mask? Fixer I don't made know. the mask for him to control. I don't know if he used it. If it's a mask that's specifically tuned to Mentalo's powers oh, or what. Right. Fixer made the mask. Yeah, so even that, the Fixer did so most of it. So can't even control you without the mask. He's just sitting there, you know, being mental. <laughs> right. Being Xavier's like laughing. Mentalos. Xavier's laughing reading this. He's like, dude, with my telepathy, I can scope out other rooms and find electrical things that don't even have minds. And you can't, <laughs> you can't even control this mind. Um, and also, do they say what the benefit is? Are they just terrorists or they hate S.H.I.E.L.D.? Or what are they doing this for? Honestly, I think it's just to blow up Nick Fury and... Because he's the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay. So I'm fine with, like, the Fixer doing that because if he works for them, we know them as a terrorist organization, and they that makes sense that they want to blow up S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't know what Mentalo gets out of this, other than S.H.I.E.L.D. is the only people that can catch him, maybe, or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to go back and, like, read his initial issue to see what his deal was because we only figured out he existed because the ESP division, had, like, detected him or something like that. Yeah, that was the big deal. It's like, there's a guy out there with brain-reading powers, and Nick was like, we have to find that guy. And then, since then, no one cares about that guy. So, like, that part, and then the part where Mentalo was even more susceptible to the brainwaves, like, both of those mean that he's not just a bad asset. He is also an active liability. (laughs) Right. I wonder if, like, he's just, I mean, I assume we're going to see more Mentalo someday, because I know who this character is, kind of. He must have made the handbook at some point. But uh, I wonder if he's just considered, like, the crappy telepath of the Marvel Universe. Or, like, would this bother Xavier, too, if if the psych team of S.H.I.E.L.D. was going after him and stuff? Yeah, I, I only have, like, a va- passing awareness of him. He's been – he's in a, a Marvel team-up issue way down mm-hmm. the road, like, 26. Um, but his, his next appearance isn't until Daredevil 122, so that's forever no. away. Kind of a shame because he kind of looks cool with that goggle face thing, but yeah, yeah. it kind of has like the whole Kirby mm-hmm. like lens f- lens reflection thing going across it. Yeah, I don't know why he needs that, but it's cool. Oh, um, I think that helmet like actually prevented him from being attacked because he took it off stupidly, and that's when they attacked uh, him. Anyway, I do like to um, obsess to um, maybe far too far an extent over continuity. So mm-hmm. Tony Stark is in this story. He's off and on yes. involved with Hydra and yes. them. Um, this can most easily be said to take place before his Titania man fight. Okay. So like he has not yet been revealed to happy. He's not yet hated by pepper. Um, Senator bird has not gone overboard trying to bring him in yet. His life is just a little bit more stable in these adventures than it has been of late in his own book. Yeah. And we've been talking about how it's kind of cool that he doesn't really reference Iron Man very often, if at all. And mm-hmm. like, even when he goes into action, as he does in this issue, and there was another issue where he had to go into space or something, like he's just using his technology, but not being Iron Man. So really, they're kind of treating him more like Howard Stark, MCU Howard Stark than Tony Stark, which I thought was cool. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. 
But then uh, he has a heart attack here, which is very Iron Man. But what's interesting is they they never explain it. So like, right. if you're a, if you're a young reader or you know new to comics and don't know any of this stuff, does this scene just seem bonkers and out of nowhere? And you just wonder what happened to this doc, this scientist guy, or do they assume everybody knows who Tony Stark is at this point? Which is why I'm kind of of two minds on it. It's like it's it's fan service, not mm-hmm. in a sexy way, but just it's fan service because it's. If you know what this is, yeah. then hey, it's kind of cool. Yeah. But as far as storytelling goes, you have this helper <laughs> to S.H.I.E.L.D. who has a heart condition, and he's very insistent that nobody help him, and uh-huh. you don't know why unless you read Iron Man or no Iron Man or whatever. You don't know why, and three panels later, he's also okay, whereas most people who are having a heart attack aren't okay three panels right. later. So it's like you, you'd probably sit there going, what was the point of that? And how did he get better? He's not even in the Avengers anymore and hasn't been for quite some time, like almost a year. No. So unless you're reading Tales of Suspense, this dude's a mystery. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, yeah, I'm on the fence. I'm with you. I'm on the fence as to whether that was a good call to put it in. It's, it is kind of neat if you know who he is, but maybe it is a weird spot in this story for no reason. The only thing it needs is an asterisk uh, saying, yeah. hey – you know, check out Tells of Suspense for more about, you know. Mm-hmm. That would actually make sense because then if you were only reading S.H.I.E.L.D., you'd go, I want to know more about this heart attack guy. Right. Who and is you this start guy? reading Iron Man. Yeah. Um, but that's all I have on this one. Yeah. It was okay. I'm kind of glad it's over. I'm interested in the Druid. Let's bring it on, I guess. It's kind of a cool, like, James Bond ending, some sort of crazy, like, uh, terrorist uh, technology that comes out of nowhere and kills something. Um. Like you said, Mentello does come back, which might just be the craziest part of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Fixer apparently has less of a presence in Marvel history than Mentello does. Wow. Um, Mentello will be back before the fi- well, We're going to see the Fixer like in a very brief cameo in the near future. But then he's gone until he teams up with Mentello and they go up against Spider-Man and Marvel Team Up 26. And Mentello has a solo villain appearance before that. The Fixer is kind of like a lukewarm wizard or... Maybe not even as good as like the thinker. And I don't even like mm-hmm. the thinker either. But like there's just too many of these guys now, kind of. Yeah, he's just like he's like Q from James Bond, but evil. And there are a lot of just weird gadget guys out there who just mm-hmm. make stuff. Yeah. Not that exciting. Should we go to Doctor Strange? With none beside me. Yes. The old synopsis. In the somber shadows of a darkened Greenwich Village rooftop, the master of the mystic arts fights a seemingly hopeless struggle against the demoniac disciples of the vanished Mordo. But with his earthly form almost helpless, how can Dr. Strange's spirit, self, survive the deadly onslaught? Weena, but we're not telling. Edited and rehashed by Stan Lee. Written and rewritten by Roy Thomas. Dun, dun, dun. Plotted and drawn by Steve Ditko, lettered and blotted by Artie Simic. Okay, so Doctor Strange has this mask on and these hand cover bricks so that he really can't see the world or interact with it. So what he's been doing is he's been driving his body like Ace Ventura does the car. He 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 like sticks his head out of his face <laughs> uh-huh. to um see where he's going and he steers his body around. So he's like, okay, you know, th- this is for the birds. I'm just going to stash my body. Got to stash it somewhere safe. So let's go to this water tower. Um, and let's just have me, I know I'll just 
drape my arm over the ladder rung so I definitely won't drown. And then I'll just do everything as my spirit self. So he does. He goes out and he sees um, the the demon, which is not really a no. Is he a, is he called the demon? He's called the demon. Uh, isn't he? I have no idea what they're called. All the bad okay. guys. Yeah, the demons directing some bad guys, and um, there's the mysterious woman who was a shadowy figure but now isn't. She's in. Um, I don't know if she's in Doctor Strange's house or just somewhere else. Anyway, she's talking to the demon on, like, Skype. Like, spirit Skype. Yeah, she wants them all to find Doctor Strange, basically. Right? He goes to his house and gets his cape, and he's able to control it with his spirit self. So mm-hmm. he takes his cape over, he finds Kaecilius, who's still hanging out in his house, and he wraps up Kaecilius in his cape, and then drags Kaecilius, and he's going to go and um, attack the other two. At first, he's like, you know what, I'm going to go get my body. So he takes Caecilius to his water tower, goes inside. <gasps> my body's gone. They must have stolen my body. And so we cut back to mysterious woman who's talking to Dr. Strange's body about how awesome it is that she has captured it. Caecilius flies in the window wearing the cape. And he's like, guess what? I can control Dr. Strange's cape now. She's like... Yeah, but other people might have seen you flying around out there. Get in here. So he gets in there. And Dr. Strange totally saw him flying around out there. So he's able to follow him in there. And um, they're trying no, to figure out. Dr. I think I think Dr. Strange is controlling it and pretending to be Caecilius, right? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm making that up. But he, like, he put Caecilius unconscious and he can like control him with a spirit form. So he's like infiltrating there. Whatever. You're right. He's saying if she only knew that Mordo's revived disciple is now under my mental control, you are right. correct. So right. he was he wasn't in the body, so I didn't think it was controlling. But yeah, so he's right, like right. driving Caecilius around. Anyways, he comes inside and um, puts a Vashanti shield around himself. Um, he and the woman face off. She has his amulet, and she wants him to reveal the secret to the mystic amulet, or live as his as her slave i'm sorry he can reveal the mystic amulet secrets and live as her slave or mm. he can die those are his yeah. two options um so what he does instead is he uses his special magic powers to open the amulet's eyeball and it stares into her eyes and it hypnotizes her um then the demon shows up and tries to zap the hypnotism uh, then there's a big magic fight with the woman and Caecilius and the demon and Dr. Seuss, uh, Dr. Strange's spirit form. Um, and that magic fight goes until the amulet eyeball is once again able to hypnotize and he can beat everybody. And then once they're subdued, uh, he makes the woman take off his body's uh, bindings. He slides back into his body and puts on his cape. He's Dr. Strange again. Uh, he tells all three of the disciples of Mordo that they will never remember anything about black magic again and go live lives that make up for their past misdeeds. And he's like, okay, whew, now I got to go find Dormammu and save that prisoner girl. Yes. Woo. Well, you know, a lot of these stories are getting kind of old in the sense that it's like, I'll cast this spell on you. I'll cast this back and blah, blah, blah. So I do appreciate when Ditko finds a way to be a little more creative. I like that he's like driving his 
bound body by his spirit self. I like that he tries to trick them by using Caecilius as a puppet. Uh, so that was a little more clever than just a back and forth thing. I like right, that the cape once helps. Get, once you get yeah. to the end and they're just like zapping each other with magic beams. It's uh-huh. a little bit, okay, whatever. Yeah, that's, when, that's when I start, my eyes always start glossing over. So, But that's just magic for you in general. But, although I'm not even going to pick on magic because sometimes that happens in physical fights too where it's just like, I'll punch you with my right arm. Well, I'm going to dodge that and punch you with my left arm. It's like, okay, okay. And I know it's hard to come up with like amazing fights every time. but So in this case, that's one thing I appreciated about the story is I felt like it was kind of creative in that sense. It was cool. We should talk before we get too far into the story. We should talk about our new writer. Oh, Roy is, Thomas. Yes. Yeah, this is his first story. Yeah. Um, I don't. Did, did it feel like a different vibe to you when you were reading it? Or honestly, this felt pretty similar. Yeah, me too. And of course, Stanley is going to start pulling back his involvement in writing the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roy Thomas is basically Lee's chosen successor. Now, he only writes a couple of Doctor Strange issues before he moves over to Sergeant Fury and the X-Men. And in a year, he's also going to pick up the Avengers. Um, so what's exciting is that I actually got to talk to Roy Thomas at oh. Dragon Con of 2019. Oh, wow. Um, about his experiences as a comics reading fan who came into Marvel. And I also got to see him at a panel about Doctor Strange, where I was able to ask him his opinion on Steve Ditko's depiction of Doctor Strange oh. early on and how that changed. If nice. you're new to the show, it is my firm opinion that early Doctor Strange was intended to be an Asian American character, not Caucasian. Yeah. Um, I and, agree. And yeah, and that changed. That definitely changed. On one specific issue, it changed just overnight, kind of. Yeah, basically. So yeah. we are going to release that episode as a, a mini bonus in the feed right next to this one. So you mm-hmm. should see a Roy Thomas interview in your feed right now. Um, so that's there. Excellent. A reason for me to subscribe to my own show. Yay. I'd like to listen to that. Uh, go Five ahead. Bucks says this is the same water tower that Spider-Man was dumped into by the vulture. <laughs> There's probably some webbing hanging on the wall somewhere. Yeah. Right. It looks like the same one. I mean, I'm sure water towers are, are the same, but honestly, it's just like, it, sh- it, it needs to be the same one. Well, you know, I'll, I think artists, especially back in the day before the internet, probably kept a lot of uh, archival pictures for reference. So maybe he just mm-hmm. has the one water tower picture or something. And it's the same artist, so. And it's the same artist, yep. Now, he does say at the bottom of page two, if Doctor Strange returns, that is, he has not been seen by us for many weeks. Hmm. And like, okay, many weeks. How I realize this story has been going on for like over a year at this point. <laughs> yeah, but it's all continuous, so it could be five minutes. I don't right. know. Right. But many many weeks implies there's a lot of downtime between yeah. adventures. We never see him sleeping or eating, I guess. No. We're hanging out with the ancient one. Hanging out. Well, he's been unconscious for a while. And he's been out of his own home. Like, yeah. his own home has been occupied by these three disciples. So maybe where time passed was when he was hiding out in foreign lands trying not to do magic, and he was just hanging low until they caught him? That That would be a really miserable existence, but that's probably the best solution. That's pretty much the only downtime I can think of for this story arc. Yeah, so there were like big spaces where nobody found him, and he was just living rough. He was just living like Bruce Banner in the the beginning of Incredible Hulk? They were going to have to have Strange Sad. Like working at a bottle factory and... 
keeping his head low, trying not to be attracted to women, stuff like that. Acc- accidentally drips some magic into a bottle of pop and Stanley oh, drinks no, it. stop. And then Stanley drinks it. Yeah, that's how yeah. they got him. Someone was affected by magic. The cloak in this is the most like the movie cloak. I it has know. Ever been. So it doesn't seem like it's sentient or anything. But, no. But I am amazed that it does all this because as much as I love that in the movie, I never, I guess I never realized that it actually does this in the comics. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious if the whole sentient cape thing is actually a later comics development or if they just did that for the movie. I'm cool either way. I like the idea that they added that in the film as like turn the cape into his puppy. We don't, well, he earned this cape, right? We did get that story. Mm -hmm. So this cape is a cape of something or other. It's not just a cape. Right. Well, it's specifically a cloak of levitation. It can float him because its power is to float. But in the movie, it was like a uh, ancient artifact and everybody had an ancient artifact, but you kind of had to wait till the artifact chose you kind of thing. The wand chooses the wizard. Uh, I don't think that's the case with this no, that no. I know of, but I did like that idea. I, God, that's my, the best scene in that movie, but we can wait and talk about that when we talk about that movie. But uh, yeah, the cape is awesome. And it was only really a puppy in that one movie because Doctor Strange hasn't had a second movie yet to waste time with his puppy. But, but it's coming. It's coming, so I hope puppy comes back because that's fun. Yeah. The only other note that I had is that whenever he hypnotizes the bad guys at the end, it's basically successful. Baron uh, Mordo's minions only have one more appearance in all of Marvel. It's down the road in the 1980s. So we talk about good and we talk about evil and we talk about heroes and their oaths and they can't lie even when it's really stupid for them to tell the truth and stuff. And mm-hmm. here we have Doctor Strange summarily ruining people, wiping people's memories without any sort of trial or uh, you know group decision or anything like that. Is that a bad guy mo- move or a good guy move? It's definitely a ruthless move. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like if they he, can remember nothing of black magic, then they're basically out of the magic goons union. When you awaken, you will remember nothing. Okay, so he's not ruining their – he's not like making them just amnesiacs. They just can't remember the magic part, I guess. Right. But still, though, you're cutting into – you're lobotomizing someone's brain with magic instead of surgery without asking. I don't know. It is ruthless. But maybe yeah, Dr. Strange ruthless. is pretty intense. He is, yeah. Um, Kaecilius has kind of been a non-entity – his little mustache was showing up for a long time before he ever got a name. And um, he's only had a name in like one issue. Mm-hmm. But this is the guy who was the big bad of the Doctor Strange first movie. So does that mean he comes back in the comics or, or is the well so shallow that they just had to find some name to use for the movie? I'm going to double check. But I th- when I took the notes, I feel like I looked up and th- that was that was it for him. Yeah, that's what I figure because he probably just doesn't have a lot of supporting cast. So... We need a name. Kaecilius sounds good. Okay. Kaecilius worked for Mordo. Let's use him. Yeah. We also have a Mordo. That's it. Doctor Strange number 56 is his next and last appearance. So he's not a huge player. Nope. But he might be now. He was cool in that movie. Anyway. He was very cool in the movie. La Chiffre. uh, What's the name of the actor they had? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. He was also the guy who played Hannibal. Yes, he was. I don't know his real name. Sorry. But he's cool. He is cool. I've been watching Hannibal for the first time recently. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen that. But anyway. Should we move on to the Fantastic Fan- Four? Fantastic Four number 49 even. We've read 49 of these, and there's like one more to go for a big milestone number. So that's awesome. And it's called If This Be Doomsday, and it's part two. Galactus has landed on Earth. Any additional words of ours would simply pale besides the awesome portent of that one staggering phrase. Galactus has landed on Earth. And humanity itself totters 
on the brink of doomsday. Written in the masterful manner of Stanley, illustrated in the, in the magnificent mode of Jack Kirby, inked in the majestic mood of Joe Sinnott, lettered in the nick of time by Sam Rosen. So yeah, we open with the Fantastic Four, a big splash page, and they're all agog and aghast. Has Marius found love at last? So they're watching basically Galactus and the Watcher talk as two omnipotent beings do, kind of ignoring the ants gasping and whatever. And the Watcher's like, you really shouldn't kill this planet. And he's like, what do I care? It's just a planet and I need to eat. And the thing is like, oh, you think it's just a planet, huh? It's clobbering time. And he punches him as hard as he can in the calf. And it doesn't do anything. And not only does it not do anything, but suddenly this capsule just comes out of nowhere. And Reed is like, run, Ben. And it poofs or foofs, actually. And like this gas comes out. And it's like, it's some sort of like crazy insect repellent antibody thing. I told you to run. And he like rolls thing up in his body, his elastic body to protect him. Human Torch says, well, thing can't do anything. I sure can because I'm cooler. And he flies up there and shoots him with his heat. But that, like, does zero to uh, uh, Galactus. I mean, it makes him fiery and red, but it doesn't seem to affect him pain-wise at all. And then Galactus just kind of casually looks at the Human Torch and zaps him. And it's not a laser. It's actually, like, some molecular rearranger thing that changes his fire to, like, coal and puts him out. And he falls and he looks stupid. Um, The Watcher is just like, you guys better get out of here. Um, and you know, think about this for a minute cause you can't fight him. So they go home and Johnny is all soot covered and freaking out and Sue is freaking out and they find Reed and Ben in the bathroom together. Uh, thing is taking a bath and Reed is shaving and they're both just like, what are you guys doing? And Reed's like, Hey, we can't beat him right now. So let's just take a moment, clean up. Relax a little bit. We've been doing a lot of inhuman stuff. And then we'll, you know, come back for round two. Meanwhile, the Silver Surfer who fell last issue uh, is kind of like unconscious and he slips through the sky sky uh, uh, box, skylight, I don't know, sky roof thing of Alicia Masters uh, and lands on her couch. And she's like, what? Who? And she touches him and she's like, oh, my God, you're the most prettiest cosmic skinned thing I've ever touched. And he's like, where am I? What's going on? And she's like, you should eat. You look like you're messed up. He's like, why are you being nice to me? It's because I'm human and we're nice. We cut to the Baxter building and Galactus is using it to create his energy sucking machine. So like he's holding his arms out and all this awesome Kirby tech is like flying and being put together. And the Fantastic Four are like, okay, we should probably stop this. And the Watcher's like, no, trust me, you can't stop it. Here is a... Uh, Microsoft presentation on what he can do. And so he presses something on the wall and like they see other planets that have had the same machine that Galactus is building on their tower. And what it does, it sucks all the energy out and leaves the planet lifeless and feeds Galactus and he moves on. So they're like, oh my God, that's horrible. What can we do? And Torch is like, alas, or no, Watcher's like, alas, only the human Torch can do what I need him to do. So Hold on a second. But then we cut back to uh, a Silver Surfer with Alicia, and he's like, I don't eat food like that. I just absorb it cosmically. So he does that. She's like, you're so cool and crazy. He's like, yeah, and now we're going to kill your planet. Sorry. And she starts like, um, um, you know, wailing on his chest as he just stands there like confused. And she's like, don't you understand? We're people, damn it. We're people. We have feelings. We have passion. And he's like, you know, I've I've just never thought about that before. And you're just like 
making me realize that there are emotions and stuff. And he like kind of caves and touches her face. And he's like, maybe I, maybe I should not be doing this. I don't know. And he looks out the window and he sees all these people scared and he like feels their fear. And so he starts having second thoughts. Uh, meanwhile, as Galactus builds his thing, the thing climbs to the top of the building and crushes the uh, sucking mechanism. I don't know what it's called. I'm not a scientist. And he smacks Galactus with it. Uh, Reed follows that up with a human rubber ball walk and Galactus looks like he's going to fall to the street and crush everybody but luckily he just hovers and then he points up to the sky and says I'm sick of you guys, you ants bothering me so let me summon the Punisher. Not Frank Castle. Not Frank Castle though. It's like he's got a ship in space and some weird squat robotic frog with a blue face comes out. Uh, Meanwhile, the uh, Wait, wait, wait. Can his name be Frog Castle? Frog Castle. I'll start calling him that from now on. So the the watcher holds Johnny back from this fight and says, I actually need you to go somewhere else. Here's a little technological gun doohickey I'm going to poke on your forehead. So he does that and it transports Human Torch to basically uh, the end of the universe or something like that. And they're a place called, uh, I don't know, there's like celestial barriers and life and all this weird Space terminology. Interdimensional weird stuff. Interdimensional stuff. And basically it's the home of Galactus's home, which looks like an Escher uh, spaceship or something like that. So that's where the Human Torch is. We go back to, uh, what is it, Frog Castle? We go back to Frog Castle fighting the, the Fantastic Three. He's kind of stronger than Ben or at least faster than Ben. And every time they try and like pin him down with, you know, stretchy stuff and punching and he can like do this crazy like super, you know, Barry Allen fast punch thing. So finally like Invisible Girl has to just envelop them in a shield and sit there and take his thudding. Uh, They have really no other strategy. Galactus calls him off because it's like it's over or whatever. They're done. I'm almost done with my uh, uh, building my machine. We cut to Alicia giving one last like appeal to the Silver Surfer, and he's like, you know what? You're right. I feel your emotions. I feel their emotions. You've taught me what humanity is. This can't continue. I'm going to attack my master, and he flies out of her window looking all awesome, and it cuts to the watcher going, uh-oh, that wasn't part of my plan. This might be bad. Next issue, the don't miss our mind-staggering conclusion. So this is like the main crux of the Galactus story because it's it's the middle part. We uh-huh. had half an issue last time, and we're not going to have a whole issue next time, right? And it's awesome, and there's lots of really great stuff, uh huh. But also, not a lot actually happens to move the plot forward, right? Like Galactus only... shows up, and he still just basically showed up, right? There's only two things really that happen. I guess three. Mm-hmm. Torch gets sent to Galactus's home planet to get the weapon. Mm-hmm. Silver Surfer discovers life and emotions and compassion. Mm-hmm. And Galactus builds his thingy. Yes. And you don't hear the words Fantastic Four in those three things very much, do you? Not a lot. No. They're kind of just observers like we are. Right. And they're, you're right. They, they're sort of watching this happen and they can't really do anything about it. It's like everything's too big for them, which is part of what makes the story cool. It is, is. seeing all the stuff that's too big for them. I think that's what makes Galactus cool in a way because, like, he really does just treat them like they're nothing to him because they kind of are. He has exchanged his Christmas colors for violet and brown, and he is no longer wearing his tight pants under his skirt. He's wearing bare legs and bare arms, which looks a little weird. I don't think that's his normal thing. 
I don't think it is either. He might have the bare arms, but I don't think so. I love this panel on page three where he's just got his leg up on the ledge of the building and he's just looking out like, yep, this looks yummy. I don't know. Yep. That's just a cool picture. Going to eat all this up. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like the fact that the Watcher and Galactus are talking as the others are all just like talking amongst themselves and the two of them are basically just ignoring them because they are like bigger than life creatures who acknowledge each other but not whoever's on the roof with them, I guess. It's kind of cool. Um. So page three, they talk a little bit about how this is the first time Galactus is eating a world full of life. Yeah, but that doesn't... That doesn't I'm not sure if that's going to hold up in continuity, and I'm not sure if it... I don't even think it holds up in this book, because there is life on these pictures of that the Watcher is presenting to them. There's fish and stuff that are dead, and there's houses. Right. I mean, so what's living in the houses if there was no life, you know? Or is this just an example of what's going to happen to Earth? Is that what he's doing? Um, I thought it was pictures of what he has done, but I could be wrong. Maybe I'm assuming that. I, I think it, it's saying what it can do, whether yeah. it's because this is what could happen to Earth or what did happen to another, what did happen to another planet, it doesn't make clear. Because that planet does not look like Earth. It's all like green and stuff, but maybe that's what it looks like after you suck all the energy out of it. Do know. you think that um, the Watcher just went to Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and got <laughs> the Genesis video and just played it backwards? Well, that video is uh, used a lot, so sure, why not? <laughs> Instead of the Earth getting born, the Earth is being destroyed and drained of life. Yeah. yeah. And possibly the best animated sequence of a 1982 film. It looks like CGI, oh, yeah. but it's, it's before... CGI oh, could yeah. have been a thing, right? So I don't even know how they did it. Oh, they bleed that video dry, don't they? Like, let's use this as much as possible. Yeah. Is it, it even in the next money. generation at one point, like on some random episode? Uh, I bet you. I wouldn't be surprised. I can't remember, but yeah, crazy. Okay, so I got to the part in the story where the, the torch loses his flame and like says he gets covered in soot or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this feels like wacky science. But I did some reading. He mm-hmm. says, he's made the actual electrons in my flame contract just by looking at me. I'm getting covered with soot and ashes. They're smothering my fire. Mm-hmm. Okay. There is possibly something vaguely resembling reality going on here. Mm-hmm. The light of flame, when you're looking at fire, and the actual light of the fire is, is a byproduct of electrons losing energy. They're giving off energy, so they're losing it. And they're returning to a less excited state. Uh-huh. Now, he says the electrons are contracting. So Galactus could be causing the electrons to get less excited. And less energy implies lower temperature. And burning at a lower temperature leads to less complete cons- combustion, which is what soot is as a byproduct of fire. Soot happens whenever fire is not burning efficiently and effectively and completely. Mm-hmm. So I know it could just be Johnny making up science in his head, but he's not too far off of the mark. Well, that's what's weird to me is like, why does Johnny have the word electrons in his thought bubble? You know, like, wouldn't (laughs) it have been, it wouldn't have been better if he just said, Galactus is turning my fire to coal or soot and that's it and not know how it's happening because he wouldn't. That's sort of weird. It kind of reminds me of the silicon ice crystals in the webbing Mm -hmm. way back in that Strange Tales annual. But then again, Johnny has – we've made fun of Johnny before for, like, making it sound like he knows what he's talking about with science. And then we just say, no, Johnny, you're making that up. 
Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, cause Reed created a device to search for the thing. I'm gonna use my flame to, to create a device to search for the thing's DNA. And we're just like, no, Johnny, you're not really doing that. <laughs> he has graduated high school for whatever he that's Yes, that is, that's true. Maybe he studied flame cause he's all about flame. I don't know. So there's only one bathroom in this building. <laughs> <laughs> they have five stories of this place. Uh-huh. There's only one bathroom. When the thing is taking a bath, Reed has to shave at the same time in the same room somehow. This feels off character too because, like, I I, underst- I think it's cool that like Reed's like, let's back off, we can't fight him. But I don't for a minute think that Reed wouldn't then immediately run back to his science house and start trying to figure out a way to fight him, not just sit there shaving. That's just weird. Well, he, um, I'm not entirely certain. Well, okay, so last issue, he grew a beard very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if Reed just like swings emotionally to opposite ends of the spectrum. Cause like when they didn't know what the threat was, he's like, Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And now that he knows what the threat is and he feels like he can't do anything about it. He's like, Oh, okay. Um, I'm just going to go watch the thing. Take a bath. I guess I just don't like that. He thinks he can't do anything about it. Cause why would he think that? Of course that he does do feel weird. Yeah. I do have to give them a little bit of crap though, because remember when Susan had a little bit of downtime and she used it to redo her hair mm-hmm. and the guys gave her a lot of crap for it. Uh huh. And here we have downtime and they're like, yep, going to get groomed up, going to shave, do my hair done. And yeah, same thing. Not fair. Um, so, um, 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 silver surfer, silver surfer. This is none of this stuff really that he's saying gels with the origin of the surfer that I know, which hasn't happened yet, which hasn't happened yet. Right. So I'm wondering if they'll just ignore the way he's talking here when they give him his origin someday, or if there is some sort of reconciliation. Like, has he been the surfer so long, maybe he's just forgotten that at one point he did have emotions, that at one point he sacrificed himself to save his planet by becoming the surfer? Now he it's acts like he has no idea what emotions about, are. Yeah. Yeah. When Medusa showed up for the first time, mm-hmm. and we're like, okay, so we know that she's a queen of the Inhumans. How does that gel with her joining the Frightful Four and living in a cave as Medusa. Right. Is there some sort of story connecting? And that didn't actually get written and described Uh, in the story? Was she in the cave because they were on the run from the brother that they just walked in and took over? Uh, Well, we had to to headcanon the whole reason that she was in the cave. Yeah, we did. She had had left the rest of them. The rest of them were on the run from the brother who had taken over, and she was out, like, meeting humans and stuff. And they had to hunt her down. Right. They were hunting so her down. They did not want her to leave. Except that they so, also talked about how they like wanted her to leave. I don't know. It was weird. So anyway, he's just very cold and doesn't seem to have – Or it's cool. Like if I didn't know his origin, this is a very interesting character. He's an alien. He doesn't understand that what he's doing is bad for us. Mm-hmm. I like all that. I'm just curious if at some point they like attach the two because basically his origin is all about heart. And being brave and self-sacrifice and stuff. So is that going to get wiped out or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Or is he just going to forget? This Silver Surfer feels like the second Fantastic Four movie Silver Surfer. Like that's Mm -hmm. an adaptation of this. This is like a cosmic entity. When they say Silver Surfer, I can believe that he's actually like some sort of silver entity. It's out there in the spaceways with power. Uh Um, And what we're going to find out in the late '60s. I think is that he's actually very much a human dude wearing a silver like coating. I right. Think. Yeah. 
Well, now that you say that, like that movie, first of all, that was the best part of that movie was the Silver Surfer. But yeah, secondly, like this is straight up that plot kind of, except they replace Alicia with Sue Storm. But like he learns that they're worth saving and he fights Galactus, right? Mm-hmm. And he gets captured and all that. Well, he's not captured here. He's just like hurt, but temporarily. But yeah, so that's that same vibe. You're right. It's just like this alien guy who doesn't understand anything. We'll see. I don't know. When does he get his origin? In 1985 or something? I honestly don't know. I know he gets a comic series that starts, I, th- I want to say, 1968. Mm-hmm. Um, he so gets a solo there. series. If that has his origin in it, I just don't know. Yeah. All right. I love, love, love page. I don't know what page this is. Eight with the Galactus building, his big Galactus machine. That's just so freaking iconic and Kirby and awesome. He is really really big there because if you think about it each of those rows of windows is a is a floor that's a story of the building and he's as tall as like all five put together so now i don't know so here's the problem with like re-recording things is i can't remember if we said it in this episode that you guys didn't get to hear or the last story but we talked about his size and how like you know usually when you think of galactus you think of like this giant giant person and he's more like just standing on a roof and kind of Giant man tall, 12 feet, something like that. Mm-hmm. Which is what he was at the beginning of the issue. Right. And so a lot of people are like, yes, it's been established in canon or whatever that when he gets when he gets hungry, he starts shrinking. And it's like, oh, is that the answer? Because I don't love that answer. That's just like, eh. I was kind of thinking more like he's just an all-powerful being and he could change his size. That's kind of a cooler answer because if Hank Pym can do it, why can't Galactus, you know? It's almost like his physical self is a manifestation of him and not actually truly him. Mm-hmm. So he can like make it look at whatever size he wants to, and why would he ever want to be as small as a human? Yeah, I like that better than just like, oh gosh, I'm hungry, so now I'm twelve feet. Eh. Right. Anyway, um, I hate. Deep? Go ahead. When I trust the watcher and he burns the flesh off my skull. Yeah, that's really not great, and then sends you to a undimension or unlife dimension. Right, but you know, whatevs. Okay. Kind of a cool ship. Actually, I think, I mean, as much as they're just throwing around random words, I do think it's kind of a neat environment and a cool ship that they came up with. Yeah. It, he says it's it's Galactus's home planet, a gargantuan like a space station. Uh-huh. Or is the so planet know. the thing behind the space station? I don't know. Right. Is, is the space station orbiting his home world? Or is this the world that he lives in now because he no longer has a home world? Did he eat his home world? That doesn't even look like a ship that's big enough for him to walk around in. Unless the torch is like a lot closer to the camera. That's probably what happens. Yep, you're right. This could be like infinitely large. He could be like 20 miles away still for all we know. Yeah. Right, right. right. Um, I don't know. Would make this even cooler? Hmm. If this was like one of those um, geometrical visual um, optical illusions. Uh-huh. Where like the surfaces don't actually go in a way that can exist in real space. Ah, oh. that would be cool. I wonder if we ever get to see this ship again. Does he ever go home? Does he go home every time he eats? It's a long trip, it looks like. But then again, apparently you could just point a gun at your forehead and get there in a second. So I don't know. I don't know either. Um, I'm running out of things to say about this. It's just really cool. It's really iconic. Uh, the art is fantastic. All this. Stuff is awesome. At the same time, you're kind of right. Like the Fantastic Four don't really do anything and not a lot happens, but it's still really entertaining. Yeah. And this is, 
It's weird how that works. I don't really have an explanation for it, but it's, it's a very cool issue. It, it must work. I was going to say, maybe it works because it's just in hindsight, but it can't be true because it's lasted because of this. So this is just like hardcore um, um, Marvel Universe center stuff. Like this is the stuff that the Marvel Universe was built on, this kind of thing. So, And it lists of like Marvel events. Like if you want to go through all the major Marvel event stories, uh-huh. yeah. this is often included as the first one, even though it's not a crossover. No. It's still included as like the major Marvel event. I wonder if they've ever written any stories like just for fun, like what was Spider-Man doing this day? You know, because everybody must have seen Galactus on TV at least. I wonder if maybe like some of the, I'm sure there's at least one what if that like treats this story. And if maybe we see some of the other characters and what they were doing in a Mm. what if version of that. Yeah. Anyway. I do get on the last page, the watcher says this means a new element has entered the great cosmic game of life and death, an element which may destroy my own carefully laid plan to defend mankind. So I don't know what the watchers carefully laid plan is to defend (sighs) mankind and what the silver surfer is going to do for that. And I don't know why it bothers him that the silver surfer has become a turncoat. You know, it seems like that's going to ruin everything. How? Okay. All right. Shall we go on to the next one? If we have to, <laughs> Are you saying that the molten man regrets should be the Michael man regrets? Just the fact that the molten man regrets is the title. That just tells you something, doesn't it? Yeah. It's kind of a weird okay. title, isn't it? We've had another molten man story. Yes, we did. And it was the graduation issue. Uh-huh. And the molten man part of it was kind of like, okay, we had to have some superhero stuff, so there's molten man. Now the molten man is back, and it's not the graduation issue. He is the he is the main main course. Right. It's so, change of pace time once again. So climb aboard for the action. This one is for the real old fashioned dyed in the wool Spidey fanatics who like to seal webhead fight as only he can. We envy you. You're going to have yourself a ball. Script and editing, Stan Lee. Plot and artwork, Steve Ditko. Lettering and loitering, Art Civic. Okay, so the Molten Man has served his time for, you know, public endangerment, um, destruction of property, attempted robbery, I don't know. Whatever else he was charged with, he has been, um, his sentence is suspended because he was the victim of an unfortunate accident and all that stuff. Mm. So he goes, Mm -hmm. leaves like, okay. All right, I'm going to do some crime. So he goes home and like tests out his strength. Turns out he's still super strong. And it's like, all right. We go to a jewelry store and a very suave bearded dude with a cane comes in and says, hey, all these jewels look pretty great, but let me see. Let me see the really expensive stuff so I can rob you. <laughs> just kidding. I'm not going to rob you. And the guy's like, okay, I'll, I'll get the expensive stuff out. It's just kind of weird that you said you were going to rob me. And... uh so the guy gets out the expensive stuff and um, dude with the cane's like, ha ha, I am going to rob you. He uh, um, takes the jewels and the jewelry guy, the jewelry store guy gets a gun out and shoots the robber and the bullets just bounce off of him because he's Superman. He's not Superman. He's a man of steel, though. He grabs the gun out of the jewelry store guy's hand and breaks it. And Spider-Man, who just happens to be swinging around nearby, 
hears a gunshot and decides to go check it out. And he stops the jewelry store from being robbed, except that the guy who's robbing it totally punches Spider-Man across the face, which really lays him out. Because if you haven't figured it out yet, the guy who is uh, robbing them is actually the Molten Man in disguise. He gets away, he ducks into a sewer and uh, gets home, takes off his disguise and lights up a ciggy because that was just really a good day. Um, so Spider-Man's like, huh, he gave me the slip. Oh, well, um, I'm going to go home and think about what happened today. You know, he was, maybe he was wearing a disguise. He really, he really hit me. It's really, his, he, he packed a punch like iron. <gasps> Iron's a metal. C for Catwoman. A metal like Molten Man. And so he's like, okay, I bet it's Molten Man. I'm going to go to Molten Man's house. Is it Molten Man? <gasps> There's the molten man. He's living here again. Okay, well, I've got to get proof that he's actually the guy who's stealing stuff. So I'm going to put a spider tracer on his jacket. Puts a spider tracer on his jacket. And then what what ensues is a several-day series of his spider tracer gadget getting a signal. And he goes to check out the signal and sees the molten man just walking around town. Like, I don't know, getting a hot dog or... Um, buying one of those things from the people in Times Square or whatever. Then he sees one day, he sees Molten Man go into a strange door in an alley and come out wearing skin on his face. He's like, that's weird. The Molten Man doesn't have skin on his face. So he gets out his camera, starts taking pictures of the guy. The guy breaks into a building. He's, uh, Spider-Man watches the Molten Man undo the lock on the safe because he uses his metal tingle to feel the vibrations of the safe and <sighs> undo the lock. Anyways, Spider-Man shows up, shines his spidey light, shoots his spidey webs all over the guy, but the molten man rips out of his clothes and rips off the webs and he's like, I'm molten and naked. I'm coming at you. So he and Spider-Man fight, and they fight, and they bicker, and they fight, and they fight, 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 bicker, 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 and they fight all they want till the end of the book. Um, as I'm flipping through pages. So Spider-Man makes these, like, really, really, really thick web ropes, and basically he's able to use those to tie Molten Man up. And he binds the Molten Man, webs him up for the police. The police show up, hey, it's a note from Spider-Man that says... If you just wait right here, I'll be back with evidence proving that the Molten Man was robbing the jewelry stores. And Molten Man's like, I served my time. They're like, yeah, maybe, but you know, if you don't mind, we're just going to hang out here for a minute. And sure enough, Spider-Man delivers a package of photos showing the Molten Man putting on his disguise and breaking into the place and ripping off his disguise as Molten Man. And Molten Man gets arrested um, again. So Peter's like, whew, that was a pretty good issue. I have not had a single moment of subplot. So I think we're going to do this right in the last two pages. Going to go to the Bugle and wait, where's Betty? Hey, who are you? She's like, I'm not Betty. I'm Veronica. And um, Betty has quit. I'm replacing her. And here is uh, a photo that she uh, left of you. And you should take it because I don't want a picture of you. He was like, uh, oh, okay. Well, um, I don't need that picture. Just mail it to her boyfriend, Ned Leeds. And um, he walks away. And the uh, sad silhouette headshots of Betty like haunt him as he walks on the sidewalk.
Next issue, a Swigan supervillain so different, so new, we can't even tell you his name yet. Probably because we haven't figured it out. That's a Cap Sad panel if I ever saw one. Definitely Cap Sad. You know that the Cap Sad theme song is the Incredible Hulk TV show theme song, right? right. It was it was originally meant for Reb Brown. Um, right. But it turned out Reb was happy all the time. So this was just like the last Molten Man story, except with nothing good in it. <laughs> like the last one had the graduation. So I was like, okay, that was cool. This one doesn't even have anything. It's like, wow, this is the lightest amount of subplot ever in a Spider-Man book, I think. Feels like. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. He says it's like old fashioned Spidey. There's nothing about this that makes the Spidey stories what is making them attractive in this era. Right. I mean, so, maybe maybe the first couple issues where he's rescuing J. Jonah Jameson's son from planes and stuff didn't have a lot of subplot, but otherwise, we've been spoiled. A while back, my son was reading through Spider-Man, and um, he kind of fell off the wagon around this point, so I, I requested, suggested that we read the issue together, and maybe he'll enjoy it. We can read, you know, have some reading together time. So we read this issue together, and what made this issue fun is the scripting is pretty on point. Uh-huh. Like there's lots of good one-liners. There's lots of good yeah. Spider-Man banter. Mm-hmm. It was a fun reading experience, mm-hmm. but there's not a lot here. <laughs> no. In fact, Keenan made a joke because we were talking about the title, The Molten Man Regrets, and he's like, okay, does um, the Molten Man regret something, or is this like another example of Spider-Man and like he regrets having to fight the Molten Man, so these are his Molten Man regrets? Oh, I didn't read it that way. Yeah. Yeah. The Molten Man Regrets. That actually makes more sense than The Molten Man Regrets. I mean, he, he's kind of awkward, The Molten Man. He's large and shiny. and, and Well, so he's done his time. Mm-hmm. He's a free man. He's apparently public because he just walks around with his gold skin and they know his name because he's had an arrest record. He's super strong. He's bulletproof. He can't think of a single legal thing to do with any of that that will let him have a comfortable life. How come no. they never? How come they're always the decision is always superhero, supervillain. No one ever says like construction worker. I don't know. There must be something. Use my powers to to like just get a decent job and do cool stuff. Is there any vocation out there that would benefit from me being able to bend the steel with my bare hands and not be hurt by anything? There must be somewhere. Somewhere, not maybe not like I don't know. CFO. No, but like something that would pay you probably a lot of money because you're unique. I don't know. Right. He just went right to stealing, I guess. That's fine. I feel like if this story were restructured at the beginning, mm-hmm. like maybe we could have opened with the robbery and like have like the robbery scene and why is this guy so strong? Uh, he's fighting Spider-Man and uh, then he goes home and oh, bam, he's the molten man. And then you could do the first couple pages and flashback. Yeah. Just to make it a surprise. That would have been cooler. I think it would have been, because I feel like, you know, they don't say the guy in the jewelry store is the Molten Man, and I feel like there's supposed to be a little bit of a reveal element whenever he punches Spider-Man, except that we already know this is a Molten Man story. Well, there's a cover, but also the first two issue, uh, pages. Yeah. So it seems like it's a pretty no-brainer connection. Like, like Spider-Man could have gotten a lick, and like, maybe his cheek is gold now or something, and he runs away. Yeah. Covering it. I don't know. Yeah, that would have been cool. But they didn't do it's, that. And Peter's like... He had a punch like iron. Hey, maybe he's Iron Man. No, he didn't. He didn't do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess it's still early days, so I 
sometimes I excuse this whole jump to conclusion, but if this was 20 years from now, no. There's so many people that have a punch like iron. It can't be just mm-hmm. the molten man. But no, it's still dumb. There's got to be any number of people that could punch so hard that it feels like iron. I don't know. Or someone new. The um, Let's see. I'm looking for another note that I had. He dresses like Timothy Dalton on page nine. You know he does. He does. Yeah, he does. That's Bond, James Bond, that face. Probably well before Timothy Dalton was Timothy Dalton. And he says, Spider-Man says on that page, whatever he's up to, it's got to be something crooked or he wouldn't need a disguise. Mm-hmm. Peter, you are wearing a full body costume. Well, he is up to something crooked. He's being a vigilante, right? I guess so. <laughs> I guess so, too. And uh, he has yeah. a metal tingle. I'm not into that. They seem to be doing that lately. They did the whole magnetic charm of freaking magneto or whatever it's like they're just playing it too loose for me with this business just because the two words are alike doesn't mean you can do that you know how in the movies spider-man's webs are stretchy yep they started doing that with the mcguire movies and it really kind of bothered me because like if you're swinging on this really long line Uh i feel like the last thing you'd want it to be is stretchy well tell that to gwen stacy okay yeah but <laughs> would it, I mean, well, I mean, that's why bungee cords stretch, right? We, we can't just like jolt to a stop or our arms or legs rip out of their sockets. I don't know if that's true of Spider-Man, but it kind of makes sense that they're a little stretchy. Maybe just a little bit of give, but I feel like yeah. like in the scene where he's fighting Molten Man, um, he makes basically a two-fisted swing. He uh, you know shoots two webs up to the ceiling and then uses the grips to, to vault over. Mm-hmm. And do a flip in the air. Mm-hmm. And that wouldn't work with stretchy webs. And I just, I never feel mm-hmm. in the comics like his webs are stretchy. No, I don't think they are in the comics. I think that was a development, like you said, Tobey Maguire probably first time. Because he's using that to catapult and stuff in the movie too. Right. Uh, yeah, I was never under the impression they had any give, which is why she died. And he's just strong enough to take stuff like that because he's got super muscles. Although he webs people that are falling all the time. So you'd think if it came to such an abrupt stop, it would hurt them regardless. Yeah, so not rigid, but like, well, like rope, you know? If you make a net of rope, the, the structure of the net is going to have some flexibility, and so that's going to give have a little bit of a give to cushion you. Yeah, maybe. And maybe if you put a lot of force on it, like the, the train that's like, you know, in Spider-Man, is it two? Uh, uh-huh. When he's yeah. stopping the train? Mm-hmm. All that force is going to stretch it some until it yeah. breaks. yeah. But just generally speaking, I don't, I don't like his west to be stretchy. Yeah. I did like that one panel on page 15 where Spider-Man's in the shadows. That was very cool. He was reading Batman comics that day. Mm-hmm. It goes back to whenever Spider-Man's suit was red and black instead of red and blue. They sure don't do that anymore, do they? It's almost red and purple. Yeah. Yeah, that blue is really deep. You're right. Uh, he's been using that spotlight a lot lately, too. They really like that thing. I was just wondering if maybe the spider signal is actually a terrible idea. Yeah. Because, like, you, it ruins your element of surprise. It does. You shine well, it on somebody, and suddenly they know that you're coming. Yeah, or it startles them, maybe. Maybe. But, but uh, I feel like they're using it a lot now, but there's definitely periods of time where he never uses it, too, right? Like, this isn't a constant thing for him. It kind of depends on the storyteller. And, yeah, I think Ditko liked it. Mm-hmm. And a lot, of other, a lot of other creators just don't really think about using it. Like when I was reading Spider-Man in the 80s, I don't think I ever saw a spider signal, but I could be wrong. I just don't remember one. Yeah, it was really rare. I remember whenever I started reading the 90s, like I saw it once in a while with Spider-Man issue. I was like, oh, look at that. Yeah, I yeah what that. is that? That's cool. Now, 
I know it was only two pages at the end. Mm-hmm. This reading, I actually felt the emotional punch at the end. Yeah. I was actually kind of sad about the whole loss of Betty and how that whole part of his life is all coming to a weird, emotionally confusing end. Well, I hate to say that out loud again, because every time I say, I think that was it and it's over, there's more. But this does seem like the end. It does feel the end. Although I do know we see her again. So maybe it's not. But we'll find out. You probably already know, but I don't. Yep. Okay. Is that it for regretting the Molten Man? I am ready to avenge on the Urs. All right. Avengers number 26, the voice of the Wasp, our scene, Avengers HQ, our time, the present, our pledge, another Marvel masterpiece, incredible script by Stan Lee, inconceivable art by Don Heck, indescribable inking, Frank Ray, indelible, indelible lettering, Artie Simek, you can't catch us breaking up a winning combo. So this is the start of a whole new story arc, so there's no, like, recap caption or anything it's just cap talking to the other three members of this fantastic four whoa that um they have a new system for messages because originally it was just like i guess post-its and they decided that's not very secure so tony stark rigged up this cool vhs eight track machine and all you got to do is say the the uh dial one three one three on this magnetic decoder and then it knows that you're an avenger and it gives you the message otherwise you know, anybody could get this message, and that's not good. So as he's telling everybody that, Hawkeye is, like, flipping around, doing gymnastics, all this stuff. Cap's like, dude, I'm trying to explain how this new system works. I feel you're not paying attention. He's like, don't worry about it, old guy. And Quicksilver's had enough, and he starts pushing him around and stuff. But Cap breaks it up and says, no, no, it's cool, man. Thank you, Quicksilver, for fighting on my behalf. But Hawkeye, you're being a real jerkhead, and if you wanted to be an Avenger here, you better apologize to Quicksilver for fighting him even though he started it. And Hawkeye's like, okay, man, I'll apologize. Now can I go? And Hawkeye's like, yeah. Or Steve's like, yeah, you can go. Don't come back with a bad attitude. So um, let's see. Meanwhile, we cut to um, what was happening in our Silver Surfer story. Silver Surfer? Submariner story. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was really Sub- confused for a second. Did I miss something? <laughs> <laughs> They're both surfing people, sort of. Anyway, Submariner, I don't want to recap all that, but he just recently encountered the Pims. And then he got brainwashed by uh, 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 Puppet, Puppet Master. Master. I really wanted to say Egghead. Puppet Master. Um, and he took off. And the Pims are kind of like, gee, I think he's going to attack the mainland. We should warn the Avengers. But I'm Giant Man, and that would look weird walking across the ocean. So the Wasp was like, well, I'll do it because I'm a superhero too. And she shrinks, and she takes off. And her thing was they made a point of saying, if I get tired while I'm flying across the ocean, I could just – you know, relax in the water on my back and rest. And I said to put a pin in that because that's where this comes in. They do that flashback a little bit. As she's resting on the ocean, suddenly this big giant the bubble thing comes up out of the out of a ship and it captures her and brings her back down. And the ship turns out to be owned by Atuma, who she recognizes because once she was captured by him as the Wasp. But he doesn't recognize her because she's just a human and he doesn't pay attention to such things. So he's like, oh, we thought maybe you were someone who was going to stop us with our plans when you were just hovering hovering up there on the ocean. But it looks like you're just a random human. So we'll just keep you in this bubble. Um, but let me explain the plan. The plan is we have this tidal expander thing and it's going to make tidal waves all over the world and – put everybody underwater, and then I will rule the water. So they put her in a prison 
in like an air pocket chamber thing. As a guard starts falling asleep, she turns and she shrinks into the wasp. She flies through the jail cell pretty easily. She finds a electrocommunications thing, which she recognizes because she's, you know, dating Hank Pym. And she manages to get a message out to the Avengers. It says, Wasp calling Avengers, Mayday, Mayday, now hear this. Atuma attacking humanity. You must stop him. 300 miles due east of Cape Hataras. Avengers assemble. And they're like, well, this could be a trap, but better play safe than sorry. We're heroes after all. It's all about bravery. So they try and summon Hawkeye, but he's out at a nightclub with showgirls, and they're admiring his ring, which is what they use to communicate. And someone drops the ring, and it breaks. And so he never gets the message. So they're just like, well, let's go without him. So they go 300 miles, whatever. And Atuma's like, I see another ship. This is even worse than a floating woman. Press that other button. So they press it, and this big giant robot arm comes out. It grabs their proto-Quinjet, pulls them into the ship. Cap jumps out in greeting and starts fighting immediately, like, you know, the one-man army he is. Uh, Wanda backs him up. Uh, Quicksilver's running around trying to find the uh, device that's supposedly going to attack the world. Atuma basically beats up all three of them. Um, 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 um. And then as he wins, his people are like, yeah, but you only kind of won because, oh, that's right. His whole spaceship is like, what is the word I'm looking for? Like has a lot of humidity. It's a lot of humidity so that his people can breathe because it makes it wetter. So that was saturated atmosphere. Yeah. So it was bad for the Avengers. And as they, as they were fighting, they were commenting on like, oh, it's really hard for us to breathe. So, his people are like, Atuma's people are like, yeah, you only beat those guys because, like, you know, they couldn't breathe, man. So you're not really a cool Klingon. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll show you. Bring them back out there and put oxygen tanks on their head. So they do that, and he takes on all three of them, and he does a pretty good job. Like, they keep hitting him and stuff, but it doesn't really hurt him, and he keeps throwing them around and blah, blah, blah. Eventually, he throws, I think, I don't know what happens. Like, someone breaks a wall, and water starts rushing in. And now he's really in his element. And even though the Avengers have oxygen max on, it's still hard to punch and stuff underwater when you're not an Atlantean. So they're going to get their butt kicked. Uh, meanwhile, we cut back to Hawkeye, and he goes back to the Avengers mansion. And he's like, wow, it's empty. Maybe there's a message. Ah, uh, shoot, I wasn't paying attention. What was that? Klaatu, Varada, Nikto? I can't remember what the password was. I know. Tony Stark invented this thing called the subliminal recall inducer. It's like a chair. And if I sit in it, it'll let me remember anything I'm trying to remember. So I'll do that. So he sits in it, and it kind of takes over his mind, and he closes his eyes. And while he's not aware, evil feet enter into the same room to be continued. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Atuma's a what, – what is, what is Atuma's deal anyway? He wants to conquer the – I don't know. He wants all the world to be underwater, and then he assumes that he will then be in charge. But he's also super obsessed with, like, his image. And, like, he can only beat the Avengers if, like, it's equal footing. Well, his people goaded him into that, so they're pretty bad people, I guess, in general. I guess. Not loyal, anyway. They didn't say, good job. They're like, try again. But then what's funny is, like, then they're starting to, at some point, that water floods in. And so it's still not fair, but now his people don't care about it anymore. So that's weird. Okay, so this whole... voicemail device at the t- at the beginning. It's bonkers, right? Kind of. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it only gets used in this story and then never gets mentioned again. Like, mm-hmm. I think they put it in the same closet as the Iron Man detector from Tony's car. 
I feel like it's overly complicated and it would have been just easier to be like, hey, by the way, we have a new access code to get our messages on this computer. The end. Mm-hmm. You know? But instead it's like this tape and it talks about a microphone and how you do this reproduction thing and enter this code into the decoder. And it's like, okay, you guys are thinking about this a lot. And they're never well, going to do it. I think part of the problem is that just the level of computers at this time. Uh huh. Like computers were still very physically manipulated devices. Uh huh. And so, like, if you want to have a special, like, nowadays, you want to change your code, you just change your code. It's all software controlled. I feel like in these days, if you wanted to enter a code, it had to be like physically uh, entered into the circuitry. Well, so yeah, you're right. And also, look at the splash page. We're like, this is a monster of a of a device. It's not like a mm -hmm. little laptop. It's huge in this (laughs) in this freaking basement that they seem to just live in 100 percent of the time now. Which is interesting. That we never saw before the new mm-hmm. team. No. And now this is their headquarters. Not just, yeah, just their headquarters. And they never hang out in the mansion anymore. Like they used to all the time. Which I kind of find odd because I like the Avengers mansion. It'd be cool if they like had some tea once in a while or something. Yeah. Maybe Steve is like really spreading out his, his junk all over the, not junk, mm. but like his stuff yeah. uh-huh. all over the house. It just occurs to me that there's four members and there's four members of the Fantastic Four. That is kind of weird. And there's five X-Men? Yeah, there are five. You said Fantastic Four, and I was thinking, or Quixotic Quartet, but -hmm. I don't think that actually describes them. No, no. Quixotic. Um, Okay. Mm -hmm. Like Don Quixote. Yep. But I was thinking more like Quicksilver. But yeah, I know what you meant. Oh, Quixotic. Quixotic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I can kind of relate to Hawkeye, though. What, being bored? Yeah. Yeah. you know, the school year ended with a whole quarter of school being under quarantine. And this was kind of me during the at-home faculty meetings, like uh-huh. log into to the video call. And it's kind of hard to pay attention, maybe because I have ADHD. Um, but yeah, just kind of doing your own thing while everybody else is focused on the actual important stuff. Yeah. I mean, these days, my patience for anything is so tiny because there's just so much entertainment and... <laughs> <laughs> like I can't even sometimes sit through a, a three-minute YouTube instructional video. I have to fast-forward it just to get to the part I'm interested in. You know, right, right, crazy. Attention span I, is a problem. I did think it was kind of cool that Quicksilver was back in Cap. Yes, Quicksilver surprisingly is very on board being an Avenger and loving being an Avenger because I would think of him more as an antisocial character. So, right, and I think he's going to learn more of that as like. I think that's kind of the root of his character, and he's like trying to be a better person here, but then mm-hmm. that's going to come back up, and he's going to learn that being nice doesn't exactly get him anywhere. Yeah, he'll probably get over it, but it's cool that he had this period of being like an Avengers loyalist, kind of like the Avenger in a way. Mm-hmm. Everybody hates Hawkeye. It's like kind of just official now. It used to just be like, there used to be more dynamic, like Quicksilver would also have bad thoughts about Cap sometimes or whatever. Now it's just all Hawkeye being bad all the time. It is all Hawkeye. He is just a jerk. And like there have been hints of him like learning how not to be a jerk. And I, I know that at some point he gets past it. And mm-hmm. I thought we were on that road, and we are not on that road yet. Well, he had those thought balloons during uh, the Goliath thing where he's like, I don't know why I'm – as he's t- talking jerky things, his thoughts were, why do I keep saying jerky things? So there is a hint that maybe he'll stop being a jerk. But not in this issue. Um, page four – there's the conversation with Steve and Clint, Steve, or Steve and Hawkeye. We don't know he's Clint yet. Mm-hmm. The Avengers got along pretty well without you in the past, and they can do it again if they have to. Hawkeye says, bunk. You had Giant Man, Thor, Iron Man, 
backing you up before. Now you need all the help you can get. And we all know it. Some put me on big matter. I may call your bluff one day. Mm-hmm. And I, I always, always read this as another smack at the strength level of the team because that's mm-hmm. always the thing. They were so strong before. Now they just have these guys. Mm-hmm. It struck me here that maybe this was a crack at the team's prestige. Oh, like, yeah. You used to have cool heroes making this team awesome. Now they're all gone. You're stuck with us. And you know it. It's also foreshadowing that they're going to go out as the Avengers 3 here in three pages and then get captured. Although they don't necessarily make a point of it because being because Hawkeye wasn't there to help them. But True. But you never know. If he was there, maybe they would have beat Atuma underwater somehow. We get intertidal crossover. Yes, that is very cool. I'm loving that. And I like, I like seeing like the same scene but drawn by a different person. Kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I think... People might have something to say about Jan's proportions in that first panel, but that's just one-off panel. He's not usually that terrible about it. Um, well, I don't know. He draws. He does a pretty pretty narrow waist on all of these shots, but yep. whatever. That was the fashion back then, I guess. Can we count this as acknowledgement that she officially no longer needs the pills? I think so. She does not need the pills, and nor does he have to transform her. Right. She just changes because she can change, and she's mm-hmm. been secretly practicing for months. Yes. Now she can just do it. She's great in this. She gets captured, but she also frees herself. She finds a way to communicate, and then she escapes. So that's pretty awesome. Right. And she it's interesting because you kind of expect her, since she's an ex-Avenger, to like join the Avengers and help out and everything, but she doesn't. No. She's still living her civilian life. She just wants to contact the Avengers on the phone and say, hey, come take care of Atuma. And then theor- I, I, presumably she flies back to Hank. Well, that's the problem. It doesn't say silently heads for the surface is all it says. And that's off panel. So we don't even know if she's just floating up there the whole time <laughs> or where she goes. But uh, so that'd be my one nitpick. It might have been cooler if she did hang around and join in or something. Or at least we could see what happened to her. But that's okay. More confirmation about what she's doing. Yeah. But she was still pretty awesome. Um, so Atuma has your basic typical future ruler of the universe megalomania mm-hmm. i don't really know what he's going to do with the universe once he has it he thinks scarlet witch is too dangerous that was cool that was cool and then he does that cool. thing you hate where he pulls the metal out from under her and it like wobbles and stuff yeah yeah <laughs> pulls the car pulls the steel carpet out from under her <laughs> like the the foot thick steel right like, yeah because that's like really the, gonna you bend can't like get that. through this without like you know some serious punching power, but he's just warbling it. Yeah. I almost feel like Quicksilver almost beat Atuma, and if it wasn't for the fact that it was just too humid that he couldn't keep it going, it looked like he almost beat him. That was awesome. Well, One of my only uh, complaints about this issue is that you don't really see how the Avengers fight gets resolved. Like, Atuma says on page 13 that he's taken down the other two Avengers, but... Oh, yeah, we don't see it. We, we see, actually see we see her get zapped, and we see Cap get overwhelmed, and she's trying to free him with her zappy. So I guess we see it; it's just not drawn very well. Yeah, Cap's because if you look, it's not really communicated. If you look on page twelve, that second panel, that first panel is amazing, and then the second panel is like all these people dogpiling on him, and she's like pointing her witchy hand at him to try and help him, and then Atuma's like, "Oh, you're too powerful, so I'm going to zap you." So that's how she gets taken out, and presumably Cap never gets out of that dogpile, I guess. But, I am yeah. amused that Atuma assumes that the Avengers have been sent by the surface as a fighting force. 
And he's like, the surface men would only send their most powerful warriors to battle me. Mm-hmm. If I could defeat them so easily, what can I have to fear for the rest of the weak human race? Yes. It's still early days because at some point someone should have said, I don't know, the Hulk, Thor, the thing. And he doesn't know about them because he's, he's from Murky Depths, mm-hmm. Oceania. He's really um, So he's an Atlantean, right? He's, uh, he's from an offshoot of Atlantis. Okay, because he's very strong. And I don't think yes. most Atlanteans are this kind of strong. No, Namor tends to be like one of the strongest Atlanteans, but Atuma gives him a run for his money. Yeah, and Namor's like a half-breed, so you can kind of just say that his powers come from that or something. Right. Anyway, this cool fights. He's a pretty buff dude. Then he has to fight them all again. I know who the mysterious legs are, but I think maybe we just don't say, but they don't kind of make any sense, and it's weird. But that's next issue. Yeah, and I look at those... Um, points and i think of them as being like the corners of a cape uh-huh. so i feel like it's a caped individual standing there uh-huh. but it's not it's the it's swashbuckler <gasps> the cavalier from that <gasps> the swordsman oh the cavalier yeah he's he's tough what's the over under on um hawkeye actually learning a lesson from this under uh 10 percent over i don't know how bets work 90 percent i don't know under. how that works either just a phrase yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I say no. I say he learns nothing. We do get a cool shot of the quartet on the letters page. Oh, yeah. That is neat. Look at them all like acting like they're happy together. Right. So happy together. All so right. That's Avengers 26, which brings us to the end of the month. Oh, shoot. What month are we in right now? This was January 1966. Because you know Instead what? Instead of March, which we're going to be recording later. Which is what I didn't do is open that up. So now I'm opened up. January 1966, looking at all the covers. Shoot, man, I honestly don't remember which one I picked, so this will be interesting. Well, I, we could just talk about what we remember of the ones that we did pick. Okay. Because I have those written down. Okay. Uh, but just, just to run down to remind the listeners, we had the X-Men 18, where Magneto was torturing Iceman, and that was... Not really the point of the issue. Uh, we had Daredevil 14, where he's up against the um, the plunder guy. Thor 126, which has Thor versus Hercules, but I don't think he actually fought Hercules till the very end of the issue. Uh, Tales to Astonish 78. That's where Puppet Master took over uh, Namor. And then in the Hulk story, what was the Hulk story? The Hulk uh, story. I don't know. That was where he got caught in the waffles. Right. Um, Sergeant Fury 28 was where they um, were in France, and he goes up against Baron Strucker, and there's a cliffhanger. Uh, Tales of Suspense 76 had Iron Man versus Happy Hogan, and then Tony Stark getting captured by the Mandarin. And in the Captain America story, uh, he and Batrock are playing um, musical chairs with the uh, Inferno 42 canister. Mm-hmm. Then we get to what we talked about in this episode, which was Strange Shows 143 with Mentolo and the Fixer, and then Doctor Strange versus the Terrible Trio, Fantastic 449 with Galactus, Amazing Spider-Man 35 with the Molten Man, and the Avengers 26 with the Tuma Matata. I bet I pick Fantastic Four for the win and X-Men for the loss. That's what I think I did. That is exactly what you did. I stand by that. Fantastic Four is too epic not to pick, although I did enjoy... Thor 126, because that was the full fight, and it was pretty fun. Uh, and I also enjoyed Cap versus Batrick, even though the story was a little wonky and sort of ham-fisted. But yeah, X-Men was so di- so disappointing based on the, how great that that slow burn of an intro for Magneto was the previous issue. 
only mm-hmm. to have him making clones out of Angel's mommy and daddy and DNA, yeah, and sticking them in a balloon that was going higher and higher the entire issue. That was really boring and lame. Um, I had chosen the Shield story as best. I feel like we were a little bit we were a bit kinder to it on this go around than the first time. Oh, as well. I remember yeah. just like mm-hmm. being really kind of uh-huh. done yeah. with that story. No, I'm down with that. It was it was it was old. There's a lot of the shield run that I've really enjoyed, mm-hmm. but they are they are at a at a low point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also joined you on the Fantastic Four. I mean, there's there are other good stories this month. Mm-hmm. There aren't a whole lot of great stories, but the Fantastic Four Forty Nine is head and shoulders above anything else. Like you said, it's always on the list of great, and it's always flashbacked all the time. It's just like a uh, what are those fixed points in times Doctor Who's always talking about? You know, right. There's always fixed points in times, and this is a huge one for the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to compare this to anything else that happened this month, really. All right. Should we talk about what's going to be on next episode? We ought to. So if you want to do your homework for next time and pray that we do not have to re-record another episode, we've got the X-Men 19 with the debut of The Mimic. Is he another mutant? Find out. We have Daredevil 15 where he goes up against the ox, all on his solo this time. We have Thor 127, which has the crisis cover of Superman holding Supergirl, only it's Odin holding Thor. Um, it's called <laughs> The Hammer and the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And then we have Tales to Astonish 79, where Hulk is fighting Hercules. But how can Hulk be fighting Hercules if Hercules is in the Thor stories? Nobody what? does. And Submariner's going to do something, I'm sure. We'll find out when we get there. Yeah, there you go. So where can they find us? They can find us at makearsmarvel.com. There you will find every single episode, which you can just play right there on the website if you want, or you could open up your favorite podcast and search Make Ours Marvel. We should be there. There's links to various feeds on that website also. There's also links to our social media on Facebook and Twitter, where we always post new shows if that's how you want to keep track. Or join in the conversation. And speaking of conversation, if you want to send us a letter to comment, question, criticize, correct, whatever other C word you can think of, us, you could email us, make ours, sorry, podcast at makeoursmarvel.com, or you can use the handy form on the website. You can find us on Twitter individually at John Reads Comics for me or Kaiser the Great for Mike. Um, I also have other podcasting and Twitter endeavors that I am doing. You can find my Image Comics podcast um, on Twitter at All the Pouches. You can find my uh, Transformers UK podcast called Return to Cybertron on Twitter at TFUK Podcast. And you can find um, a new Twitter endeavor that I've been going after where I'm uh, chronicling all the times when Logan (laughs) says Chuck or Charlie (laughs) to Uh Xavier. And Xavier hates it. Yes. So that's been fun going back to a lot of early X-Men and finding those. Cool. Uh, I guess that's it, huh? That's it. All right. Another episode of The Can. So come back next week. And until then, or until the Molten Man gets cured by Liz Allen, make ours marvel. marvel.